ago today, the artificial intelligence created to protect us detonated a nuclear warhead in Los Angeles. For as long as AI is a threat, we will never stop hunting them. This is a fight for our very existence. That's how the U.S. military sums up the threat from a species of humanoid robots in The Creator, the latest movie about the rise of the AI machines. But how much real-world research about artificial intelligence does the plot contain? To do a reality check, we've put together a panel of folks who are knowledgeable about the AI scene and how it's reflected in science fiction. Greetings, Earthlings. I'm Alan Boyle, your host for the Fiction Science Podcast, coming to you from the place where science and technology intersect with fiction and popular culture. Get ready for an in-depth look at what the creator gets right and gets wrong about artificial intelligence. And as a bonus, we have additional recommendations for AI tales you can stream at home. The creator tells the story of a conflict between the United States and an army of AI androids that nuke Los Angeles and take up refuge in a nation called New Asia, a nation that looks a lot like Thailand, where much of the filming for The Creator was done. U.S. soldiers are looking for a secret weapon that could turn the tide of the war, and as you'd expect, the secret weapon has an AI twist. This is director Gareth Edwards' first movie since Rogue One, the Star Wars spin-off that earned him an Empire Award in the United Kingdom and a Saturn Award in the States. The creator is being released just as AI chatbots like ChatGPT are turning the tech world upside down, leading Edwards to joke that the time frame for the movie should have been closer to 2023 than 2070. So how much real-world artificial intelligence is in the movie? To answer that question, we turned to an expert panel, including Ranjay Krishna, an assistant professor at the University of Washington's Paul G. Allen School of Computer Science and Engineering, who focuses on the intersection of computer vision and human-computer interaction. Krishna's wife, Kathy Yan, is a user experience designer and researcher who has co-authored a paper with Ranjay and other researchers about large language models. And rounding out our panel is Kurt Schlosser, my colleague at GeekWire, who writes about the intersection of tech and popular culture on the Geek Life beat. We got together via Zoom, just after seeing a preview of the creator on a Seattle IMAX screen, and I started out the conversation by asking Ranjay Krishna for his first impressions. So I found the movie entertaining. There was a lot of explosions, a lot of fighting. It's definitely an action movie. Um, I found the, the general sort of depiction of AI quite different from how we typically build the AI models and think about AI today. Um, so for example, what I found most interesting was in the movie, every single AI was embodied. They were in a specific body and were disconnected from all the other AIs. Whereas it's quite different from how we're building AI models today. So everyone's interacting with the same chat GPT, uh, and there are multiple instances of chat GPT. It's the same one. Uh, so that I thought was the most interesting difference, uh, from an AI perspective. And Kurt? Uh, I was entertained as well. Um, 
mainly as an escape, I guess. It it sort of fell in line with a lot of sci-fi action movies. It probably had more action than I was anticipating. There was there, there could have been a little more, I guess, story building, character development that would have made it a little richer, deeper experience. Instead, it was pretty heavy on the on the explosions, as Ron Jay said, um, which sounded great in the in the theater we were in. But as far as the AI, I I, I agree. I, I think I wanted to see uh, that technology taken to. 2065 or wherever this was supposed to be set. I mean, it's moving at such a fast pace right now, at least seemingly so, uh, in, in our current world. How could it be not so much further along uh, 40 years from now? It was what I was left wondering. It just felt a little rudimentary. What did you think, Kathy? Pretty similarly with uh, everyone else. I mean, in short, it felt like it was very beautiful, but it was clumsy. It's clumsy in its treatment of technology. It was clumsy in its treatment of plot and character, but very nice to watch. Um, you can sort of, in some parts, it felt like I was just, if I turned my brain off a little bit and think of it as a music video, then I was like, wow, this is amazing. <laughs> yeah, I, I felt like it was a little bit of a cross between Rogue One and Avatar with a little bit of Westworld thrown in for good measure. Uh, so... It was interesting how they had different breeds of AI. You had the simulants and the robots and God knows what else. Is that the sort of breakdown that we're going to see in robotics and uh, artificial intelligence in the future? Ranjay, do you think that we will have different manifestations of AI? Absolutely. I mean, in that sense, I think the movie did a good job depicting AI uh, embodied AI as having different kinds of embodiment. We already have quite a lot of this already. We've got humanoid bots, places like Tesla and uh, other companies like Boston Dynamics are building humanoid robots already that are uh, that have two legs, that walk on two legs. But we also have uh, a bunch of other robots. We've got the, the ones that go on four legs that have one hand, um, which is similar to a dog almost. And we also have um, the Roomba, which doesn't really have any legs or anything, but I would still consider it to be a robot as well. So in that sense, I'm happy that the movie at least depicted AI as having many different kinds of embodiment. Uh, I just wish that it did a better job of making them more interconnected and uh, quicker. It almost felt like the AIs were almost depicting people and not really machines because they were imbibing in them uh, religion, emotions, and a bunch of other things that we don't usually think about uh, from a research perspective. Yeah, there's a comment that might go unremarked uh, from one of the characters in the movie comparing what's going on with uh, AI and humans to what went on with humans and Neanderthals thousands of years ago and I thought that was something to think about that just as Neanderthals were once thought to be these dumb brutes and then we find out that they had rituals they had what appears to be religion funerary services they played musical instruments I think that perhaps without even totally meaning to, the filmmakers brought up that issue of different species and perhaps a digital species and how do humans interact with those species. And as we know, when Neanderthals came in contact with modern Homo sapiens, it didn't end very well for the Neanderthals. 
I agree with that, Alan. I think there's that sort of notion that humans, or in this case, uh, Westerners, as they were portrayed, Americans are always going to be scared of something they don't know and try to control it in some way. Yeah. One of the central events of the film involves an attack by AI forces on the humans. And the AI explain it by saying, well, that was a coding error that, you know, it's really the human's fault. So that goes to another deeper issue that I think Kathy and Ranjay might want to explore in terms of uh, whose fault is it when AI goes wrong. But you were talking about this, this process of treating AI as another species or treating it as human-like. Um, at the end of the day, what it comes down to is treating AI as having its own agency. Uh, and that's something that popular culture has really, you know, focused on with AI for, for as long as I can remember. It's always had its own agency. It's always got its own objectives, um, which is quite different from how we're building AI and what AI is today. In my class, for example, we talk about AI as just a tool because at the end of the day, that's what it is. Just like the computer, it's a tool. And how you use the tool is going to determine the the consequences or the benefits that you're going to get out of that tool. And so if you use the tool in a way where you treat it as a weapon, then it's going to be a weapon. But if you treat it as something that helps you clean your house, it'll be a Roomba. You know, so it, it just depends on how you sort of think about this tool and how you code it up. But of course, that's not as exciting as sort of uh, creating uh, this idea that AIs have agency and have their own agenda. I also think it, it's a bit of a poor reflection of how technology is applied in the world. With something as dangerous as that, you would think they would have multiple systems and fail safes that aren't just AI and automated, but also have some kind of human component in it. It's not just one person, it's many people. Da, da, da. Like I'm sure if any country wanted to launch a nuclear warhead, it would probably have to go through many, many different steps in order for that to happen. And so on that level, I know what the point the movie is trying to make, but that was just something I couldn't quite get over because it felt so unrealistic. I think we think a lot about AI technology just by itself, but also it's it once it affects a lot of people, it's going to be embedded in sort of systems that we are already familiar with, right? Like our infrastructure or our governments. And so I think that's also something people need to keep in mind when really understanding the full scope of what AI can and cannot do. Has there been any discussion in the AI community, and I'm sure there has, about the idea of uh, AI being used for policing and how much autonomy uh, you give uh, autonomous mm -hmm. systems for doing policing or doing aggressive actions? You know, we all remember Isaac Asimov's Three Laws of Robotics, which basically are don't hurt humans, but Sometimes uh, these autonomous systems are being used because people want to hurt humans or keep them in line. And, and I think that's where a lot of these AI nightmares go off and explore the implications of having AI being given enough autonomy to choose its targets. I, I remember that there was a researcher some years back who said, if I had to have a gun pointing at me, I'd rather have it pointed by an AI that had all the information at hand and could determine that I was a good guy rather than a bad guy instead of having a flawed human behind the gun, which seems a little strange to me, but that's the debate. 
Yeah, there's quite a lot of discourse, mainly just because we have a lot of automated systems today that are already policing a lot of our behaviors online. Um, this need for having automated systems police us comes from how many things people generate and put online every single minute. So for example, I forget the exact numbers, but there's, um, I believe, thousands of videos uploaded to YouTube almost every single minute. Um, there are thousands of tweets every single minute, if not more. Um, and it's impossible to sort of moderate and keep track of what things are potentially harmful and should be taken down. Uh, and similarly, even um, even the number of people applying for loans, the number of people applying for bail, all of these decisions today are being, to some degree, uh, determined by some sort of automated system. And underneath all of these automated systems is some kind of AI model that's determining whether someone gets bail, whether someone should be given a loan, whether someone should have their video taken down on YouTube or their tweet removed or fact-checked. All of these decisions are being made just because we don't have enough moderators, human moderators, to actually make those decisions for us. And so it's it's become this very interesting situation now where we're relying on these models to make decisions for us when we can't even come up with good guidelines to dictate how uh, what kinds of social behaviors we should and should not be policing. Uh, so, for example, you know, uh, a good uh, thought experiment is one where if you did have an AI police uh, and its job was to make sure that no one was speeding, what if someone was speeding because um, they were about to give birth and rushing to the hospital? Uh, if you had a human police officer in that situation, you sort of understand that out there are situations outside of the guidelines where maybe it's okay uh, to allow particular kinds of behaviors that even if they violate your norms should be allowed. Uh, whereas if you have automated systems, they don't really have a mechanism through which to go about making these sort of nuanced exceptions. And so how do you build those things into your AI models? How do you sort of give them the ability to think about the human condition. Uh, in the research community, this is often called the AI alignment problem, where you're trying to align the values uh, that humans have with values that the AI model should potentially be also adhering to. But it's so difficult to even code or describe what our values are in language that it becomes almost impossible to do that in code. And so what we've resorted to doing is creating these systems where AI models almost escalate when they don't know how to make a decision and then go to a human uh, when necessary. So you're trying to build systems today where these AI models are making as many decisions as possible when it's clear cut that this video should be taken down, this should not be, and then escalate when uh, otherwise. But of course, it's really hard to know when to escalate. So we're just sort of punting the problem down the line and we don't have any good solutions for policing uh, any sort of behavior online. I agree that the underlying model that controls whether or not I get in line for concert tickets should be policed heavily by humans because <laughs> that's, that's where I'm often frustrated. This is somewhat related to what Ranjay is saying, um, even though it doesn't. Uh, there's a really great anime that Ranjay and I really love called Psychopaths, which kind of, that's sort of the premise, right? Where essentially they have this all-knowing AI that supposedly knows everything and makes a decision about whether or not someone is a criminal. Anyways, if anyone's interested, uh, any of your listeners are interested, that's a pretty great series. Mostly season one and two. Season three was pretty bad, right? Season three was bad. <laughs> Just watch one and two. <laughs> yeah, that whole issue of AI to autonomy is really interesting. And it 
kind of becomes a central theme of the movie that as I was watching it, I was thinking, okay, this is the Rebel Alliance from Rogue One. <laughs> and uh, there's a point where someone asks a question to a, an AI child, well, what do you want, sweetie? And, and the, the child says, I want robots to be free. And uh, the person who asked the question said, oh, we don't have that. Would you like some ice cream? And so that whole idea that AI wants to be free, I don't know, that sounds pretty deep and pretty philosophical because if you give AI some autonomy, does it follow that AI will want more autonomy? Is that something that is seen as a potential dynamic to get to the Terminator age? I think that that premise borrows heavily as this movie did uh, on the original Blade Runner um, in regards to once the once the replicants got a taste of life, freedom, I guess you could call it, they wanted more of it. They had a, they were had a six year lifespan built into those robots with human skin. Um, and and this movie even even in the first few minutes says that the AI in the creator was built to be more human than human, which is a total tagline from Blade Runner. Roger, correct me if I'm wrong, but I get the sense that a lot of AI researchers or people in the community aren't even thinking about those questions because it's just so hard to even get it to work correctly. It's so hard. Like, you know, there's these sort of grander philosophical questions, which I think are worth thinking about. But I think researchers who, where this is their day to day, it's just like, how do we even get it to be like 25% accurate? Like that would be amazing for any model. I don't know. Vrenjay, do you have any more thoughts on that? Yeah, I agree. Uh, these questions are, are, are fun uh, to think about. Uh, I don't think we're necessarily concerned about it, at least not people in academia. I think we're mainly just focused on, you know, what are the shortcomings? What are the big sort of characteristics of human learning, of human behavior that are completely not coded at all or difficult to code? And how do we sort of make AI agents, you know, capable of learning even when they're deployed. How do we make them act and figure out, you know, when they encounter new situations, how do they learn about that new situation and figure out how to act? I think it's just so difficult to get them to work at all. Uh, I mean, today we have all of these really expensive projects going on in big companies where they, you know, spend years and millions of dollars building out these models. And at the end of the day, it works in that one kitchen it was trained on, the moment you move it to another kitchen, it just completely fails. You know, we, we really don't have good AI models out anywhere at all. Um, the only real success we've had is some of the recent language generation stuff and some of the recent sort of image generation stuff, which are very useful. But even those, I would argue, are still very far from being able to do the kinds of things we actually want them to do. Recently, we were reading articles that the users on ChatGPT are declining and majority of them are primarily using it to edit their texts or make their language a little bit better, uh, even though it, it sort of promised a lot more than that. Um, so we're still very far away. Even our best models are really far away from doing anything. So Ranjay, is there an issue that's addressed in this movie that you think would be worth telling your students to go see the movie and watch for? Is is there something that you can take away from the movie that applies to the state of current AI research? So a lot of what my research thinks about is what happens when you put these models or agents in front of real people? 
How do they act? What are the emergent sort of human behaviors that come about? And I think that's something this movie does pretty well. It, it talks about um, our attachment to machines. Uh, it talks about um, relationships that we form with inanimate objects, including robots in this movie. Uh, how in some cases those relationships blossom to be more than just, you know, it, it tends to be even more romantic. Uh, those are real things about the human condition. And I think that's something the movie does pretty well. It also talks about ways in which people adjust their behavior in reaction to the robots. So people uh, react differently and interact differently with the different kinds of robots that are in the movie. And I found that very exciting and interesting. Uh, and that's stuff that we study quite a bit. Um, and the reason we study it is because we try to understand what are the different kinds of interactions that people might have when we put these things out. And then how can we design for specific kinds of interactions while uh, trying to prevent others from happening? Uh, and so that's that's a good reason to watch this movie. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, I wanted to touch on any other technologies that we saw in this movie that is supposed to be a vision of what life is going to be like in 2065. And I think, Kurt, you tend to have an eye for those sorts of technologies. Is there anything you noticed? Uh, I agree with Kathy that the the movie was uh, visually very beautiful to look at. And, and a lot of that hinged for me on the set pieces and the design of the way that the thing looked is very realistic. I think sci-fi has gotten to the point now where it, it's not a stretch of the imagination to imagine cities that look this way. Many times that's built off the fact that something apocalyptic has happened to get the city to this point. And whether you're living in acid rain or total darkness or, or decay from a nuclear event, um, that sort of lends uh, believability to the to rise of technology among that and people's uh, need for it uh, to, to coexist. Um, some of the stuff we saw, like a lot of the augmented reality is not new in these movies. Um, you, can, you can go all the way back to Star Wars where Chewie was playing chess with the little um, hologram figures. There was a scene in this movie where a robot is, is watching uh, an AR visual of robot strippers. Um, which which gets into a which gets into another whole uh, human condition um, and and what we teach our AI uh, um, question I guess what and I think he was smoking as well like the robot was smoking a cigarette um, which was weird but um, I liked the the main character had a little tech gadget that I thought was kind of cool and and um, tactile rather than a, a smartphone he was holding what looked like a printed image but it had um like movement in it like it, it was almost like he was holding like a little video card of his girlfriend uh wife um and uh that was just kind of a neat little thing um that that looked cool technologically there was a lot of usage of translation tech between the mm -hmm. the robots and the and the, the people that the the americans were fighting um so language code language um translation um which I thought a lot of the vehicles looked cool, but they were uh, a little odd in some respects. Like they were powered by rockets, but you could hear rotors. Um, so I'm not sure what that's all about. Alan, you you know uh, a lot about aerospace. Why why would these rockets need a, a rotor 
sound to get off the ground. Yeah, uh, I think uh, that's that's more of a Star Wars thing where you have all these uh, <laughs> land scooters and and levitating objects that there's no way in current physics they would levitate like that. But and you know, again, it kind of goes back to the idea of uh, spaceships making sounds in space where there's a vacuum that you have right. to have some things that you add just to add to the auditory experience. So, and then they did have a lot of holograms. People have tried to create that sort of hologram display that you see a lot in Star Wars. You know, Obi-Wan, come help me, that famous little hologram. And they haven't quite got yeah. that figured out. But apparently by 2065, we're going to be using that all the time. Right. <laughs> Any map or anything that you have to look at is going to be right there in the, in the room with you. And that Star Wars taught us that. Um, yeah. I just like anything that sort of shows you because in a movie like this where it's so much bang, 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 it's, it's cool just to catch like a little glimpse of like, Oh, how do they eat? Or how do they, how do they enter a room with a, a different style of key card or, you know, uh, just like tech that I, I call it near tech where it's like, we're already doing a version of that. So how, how much better does it get in 40 years? Um, and there was a lot of that to look at in this film. Kathy, you have a fine arts background, so you probably saw <laughs> yeah. a lot. Yeah, I mean, it was in, in terms of like direction, it was it was really beautiful in terms of cinematography. I think uh, towards the end of it, like everyone cried because even though the plot had so many holes, um, it was just like everything, the music, the cinematography was so moving, you couldn't help but cry. Um, but I wanted to actually go back to the point of near tech. The other thing, the one thing that I thought was really, really cool was um, his rope. Uh, can I can I talk about this? It was like an artificial limb, an artificial arm that could be removed or put on. There's this company Elon Musk started called Neuralink. That's something that they're working on where maybe through like an implant in your brain, you're able to like manipulate uh, like an artificial limb in a way that's like as good as like a real human hand or even better. Um, and I thought the way they designed it, the way that he can go swimming without it and then just very easily attach it on. I thought that was super cool without any extra penagling. That was awesome. In terms of art direction, I thought it was beautiful. I, when, I, when I saw it, I felt like I'm, I'm a huge anime nerd. <laughs> so I, I felt like I saw a lot of almost like callbacks or inspiration from like uh, from things like um, Ghost in the Shell, which is like a really famous movie. Um, Blade Runner isn't an anime, but like you can see callbacks to that. It was sort of like a, a pastiche or like a mishmash of all of these sort of like visual elements that you're you're getting from like different types of media. You know, and I, you know, whenever they, that there's, you know, two geopolitical entities in a movie, right? There's like the West and then there's New Asia. And so it's always really interesting to see how American movies do a treatment of like Asian aesthetics and what they decide to integrate and what they decide not to. And I thought that was done in a way that felt like, like I said before, a little clumsily. I was struck by the resonance that some of the scenes of this movie had with the Vietnam War experience. And oh, I yeah. felt like there might be a little bit of uh, PTSD, perhaps, that, that some people might feel who remember that era, like I do. And uh, that was a little off-putting for me. But mm -hmm. maybe, I'd, I don't know whether they intended to have that sort of callback, but 
I'm not sure whether it, it worked or not. Uh, perhaps they're trying to send a message about how people see other cultures and in this case how people might see a culture that has accommodated AI to a large extent. Sure, right. I mean, I was thinking about this too. I found it quite off-putting as well. I feel like um, there's so many specifics about how you know Western countries have treated countries abroad, but you know, trying to sort of use AI as an allegory for all the all the countries that we've bombed or have like uh, gone to war with feels disrespectful to those cultures and those histories, and also isn't really like like as we've been discussing like isn't actually a real concern in the ai community now like that's not a problem that we're probably going to reach for a very very long time where we're going to have ai so lifelike so human-like that they are in fact another species and so it was like trying to create a metaphor that didn't quite work and i think that's why it's so off-putting when directors take things that are like, you know, in our culture and our history is really, really like potent, emotionally potent. And um, such as images and imagery from the Vietnam War, and then sort of like, without really quite understanding it, trying to mold it into something else, you know, they're trying to give you that emotional resonance, but then without sort of backing it up with a thoughtful story or message. And I found that to be one of the more frustrating parts about this movie. Well, we could be here for hours, I think. This is a thoughtful conversation, but I think that we should cut to the chase and give our grades on, first, the applicability of what we're seeing in this movie to what's actually going on in AI, and I guess we'll start with Ranjay on that. <laughs> sure. Uh, I I don't think it's at all a good depiction of AI. I'd maybe give it a one out of 10 <laughs> in terms of how it depicts AI versus what AI actually is and where it's headed and what kinds of problems we think about. Yeah. In terms of entertainment, I was entertained. So I would give it a high entertainment score. You know, I'd easily give it seven out of 10. Um, in terms of just the coherency of the plot itself and the lack of, as, as Kathy mentioned, respect for other cultures, I think that's something the movie could really work on. Uh, I sort of wish it was written in a way that was respectful of Asian culture, and unfortunately, I, I don't think it was. <laughs> Not using Asian culture as just texture. Yeah. Like Kath Kathy, uh, do you have your grades? I guess we're going on a 1 to 10 scale. Sure. Um, I pretty much agree with Ranjay, one out of 10 in terms of uh, how accurately it, it portrayed AI, five out of 10 in terms of entertainment, though I do really like Gemma Chan, so I feel a little bit bad about that score. Um, and then what's the last thing? Oh, I just wanted to give like uh, one hot take, which is that I feel like all the AI should have been able to communicate with each other telepathically because they could. They don't need to talk. They could just do that. That would have been a cool, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Technology. Yeah. 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 I don't know. Why not? You know, mm -hmm. um, or like send each other images. And I thought that would have been cool. They have that in Ghost in the Shell. So everyone should watch that movie instead. <laughs> okay. And Kurt? Well, I, I mean, I would defer to the AI experts on the grading of, of, of where we're at. But um, 
I guess I'll give it a, I'll, I'll go a little higher. I'll give it a two or a three, just because I think all the Amazon robots are going to rise up and they're going to break out of the warehouses. <laughs> um, I, I think from an entertainment perspective, uh, yeah, I'm in the, I'm in the seven to eight range. I, uh, I'm pretty easy on sci-fi. If it looks cool, I can kind of, um, give the story a break. Uh, and I did a lot of that with this. Um, I, w- I wanted it to go a little deeper, uh, and, and maybe get rid of some of the cliche stuff like the goofy army leader, you know, and throwbacks to like aliens where they're all hyped up to go raid this village. And, um, it just felt like I had been there and done that. Um, but I love the way it looked and, and felt and sounded, sounded great. Ranjay, do you have a hot take? Yes, I do. Um, I didn't understand why some of the technology was so advanced and a lot of it was so far back. We were looking at cathode ray monitors when when we were looking at some some scenes and then we were looking at these old school mouse and keyboard things. Then it would sort of jump to these AR, VR interactions and then there'd be these guidance missile things, but then they'd all be controlled using these handheld devices that were custom made. It just, none of it seemed cohesive. It seemed like they basically tried to innovate in some aspects and then everything else is just what we have today. Or even what we had 10 years ago. <laughs> What's your hot take, Kurt? I think my hot take is is kind of plays off of what Ranjay's was, which is that the tech... Um, was at times a little rudimentary considering that we were so afraid of it. I mean, the, the some of the robots, it was like Keystone Cops in certain scenes where it's like, shouldn't these things be programmed without uh, any error potential to just kill at, at will if that's what they're designed to do? I mean, they're, they're hunting for this guy throughout this entire movie and they can't seem to track him down or kill him. Um, and it's just uh, at times... Um, um, I was taken aback by how dumb the robots appeared. Well, Kurt, you anticipated my hot take that in an AI society like this one, why don't they have a better surveillance system? They, they should be able to recognize and identify the guy that they're looking for just right off the bat and go after him. So I don't know why they have so much trouble doing that. I guess my grade for AI applicability would be somewhere around five because, you know, maybe it's not realistic, but I think it does get you thinking about some of these issues as we've talked about in the movie. And so I don't think you should look at this as a guidebook for how AI is going to develop. But if you're willing to take a few minutes after the movie and think about it, I think you could come up with some pretty interesting issues to delve into. And then in terms of the entertainment value, uh, again, it's kind of like if you're a fan of Rogue One or Westworld or Avatar, uh, Ghost in the Shell, as Kathy mentioned, I think you're really going to like this movie, especially if you like to see things blowing up because there's a lot of that. And you might want to see it at an IMAX theater as we did because that enhances the blow up ability of the things that you see in the movie. Uh, So I would say seven, but I think that the issue of how Asian cultures are portrayed is going to be a big factor that might get some pushback from the Asian community. I'm a little concerned about that, but 
I don't know, if you can try to compensate for that somehow, it's an entertaining movie. There it is. The creator, AI, and humans, and how humans interact with each other, maybe even in the making of the film. So thanks so much to our critics, Kurt Schlosser from GeekWire, Ranjay Krishna from the University of Washington, and Kathy Yan, who is involved in fine arts as well as machine learning research. Thank you. Yay. Thank you. The Creator is playing at a theater near you. And if you're an AI aficionado who lives in the Pacific Northwest, there's something else that's coming to a theater near you on October 19th. The 2023 GeekWire Summit will take place at the former Cinerama Theater in Seattle. And guess what this year's theme is? AI gets real. Check out the geekwire.com website or my blog item at cosmiclog.com to find out lots more about AI and to register for the summit. Thanks to Kurt Schlosser, Ranjay Krishna, Kathy Yan, and Ed Lazowska for helping me put together the panel of critics. And thanks to James Emley for his rendition of the Fiction Science theme music, composed by yours truly. Please subscribe to our Fiction Science podcast, and feel free to give us a stellar rating on your favorite podcast channel. And so, until next time, this is Alan Boyle advising you to watch the skies.